Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. Talking Football. So, a very good day, everybody. Welcome to Talking Football with Robin Vince. Our date today is the 13th of July 2023. Now, our weather here in Spain is hot and muggy. And uh, when I'm looking out, the mountain is overcast, uh, very, very sort of grey skies this morning. It, uh, I still get my training done, but you know that it's a bit more of an effort and everything uh, just is that bit heavier. Anyway, uh, fortunately, um, everything else is tickety-boo, so let's get cracking. I'll go around about uh, an hour sensible drive into the west of me. Uh, Rob should be there. Rob, what's your weather like and uh, are you suitably muggy today? Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. Yes, the weather here is um, what we call in English muggy, which if uh, anybody doesn't understand that, it's a standard English word, I think, but it means unpleasantly warm and humid. And um, in Spanish, it's actually called bochornoso. And it is where the air just doesn't move. It's overcast. It's really, really hot. It's really, really unpleasant. Um, everybody's suffering it, but um, that's the way it is today. It's, it's probably one of the hottest days of the year so far as well. Right, okay. Well, look, uh, it isn't very nice, uh, but we've had a couple of things happening in the UK which you probably are up to speed with. The first one is this business of uh, Hugh Edwards, the news reader. Have you uh, have you seen what's happened there? Um, is, is he the news reader? He's, he's the presenter that has been um, at the centre of this scandal that I haven't been naming for the last few days. Exactly. Okay, so we won't dwell on it because basically... Uh, a newsreader is now a star, so, you know, the, 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 fair enough. I mean, whatever you, you want to sort of talk about. Uh, the fact he, he, he was high, he was highly respected, wasn't he, Vince? Very, very highly respected as a journalist, uh, as much as anything else. Uh, but the point that I'm going to make is that, you know, we hear these whispers in the press and see them online and everything else. And then, unfortunately... Um, you know, everything breaks, and before you know where you are, the whole world's talking about a particular person. Now, our uh, remit for this podcast is um, football, and there's a player called Delhi Ali, who many people will have seen his play, uh, playing for Spurs, was very, very good, and then suddenly he seemed to go off the radar and um, he just didn't seem to figure in Spurs or the national team. And so, you know, at the back of your mind, you're always thinking what's happened to him. And uh, this comes up this morning as Deli Ali reveals he spent six weeks in rehab after becoming addicted to sleeping pills. Footballer also describes how he was molested by a friend of his alcoholic mother and dealt drugs when he was eight. Uh, so, of course, this is the sort of world we're living in now. And, of course... Um, the uh, newspaper, they're so concerned about this poor lad uh, that realistically they've got to show a picture of his um, girlfriend and uh, a cheeky backside. You know, I mean, you, you do wonder what's in the minds of these uh, journalists as they try to be 
sort of everything that's uh, supposed to be so good. Um, anyway, uh, this is um, all turned up on an interview on Gary Neville's podcast. So again, it authenticates what we do, Rob, in the respect of, you know, people do listen to podcasts, all right? Some people have to have a picture with it. Uh, I always prefer to go with the audio because, quite frankly, you do get mixed signals very often by looking at somebody's face and then listening to the words. So sometimes you don't hear attentively. He was, of course, um, was one of uh, England's brightest starlets, I'm reading, enjoyed a mercurial rise under uh, Pochettino in North London, breaking into the first team when he was 20. Um, Ali was honoured with the PFA's Young Player of the Year award for his performance in the 2015-2016 campaign and won a spot in uh, Gareth Southgate's squad to travel to Russia for the 2018 World Cup. So, OK, um, the problem for me is that if you pay young people a lot of money, too much money, then unless they get the right people around them, they're always going to be um, targets for all sorts of people. But it would appear that, um, you know, his troubles went back a long time before that. Am I enriched by knowing it? Uh, it's invaded his privacy, really, unless he's wanted it to invade his privacy. Where do you sit with all this sort of stuff? Well, uh, Vince, if, if he's decided to make this public and he's quite happy to go along with it, um, publicity about it, uh, then it's his own choice. However, uh, as you say, that the uh, press just invade people's privacy. And I haven't read anything about this. Uh, obviously, I've just found out, as you've told me, and um, they'll just be digging the dirt, well, they'll just be trying to find out any scandalous information they can about his background. You mentioned that he comes from a sort of unstable background. So they'll be digging the dirt wherever they can and they won't be helping him, will they? They'll, they'll be using him, if you like, as a, as a publicity stunt um, rather than actually trying to uh, give the young man some kind of positive help. Okay, I, look, I didn't say that he comes from an inst unstable background. I've got to make sure that uh, any listeners quickly don't think that I said that because basically, no, no, I just yeah, I described it from the newspaper that he was molested by a friend of his alcoholic mother and dealt drugs yeah. when he was eight. Now the, the press uh, regale in this sort of stuff. I mean, y you know, um, okay, we're not looking at uh, total gutter press. Uh, we're not looking at what what we really would call quality news gathering, but the problem is really uh, we've got to s sort of think very seriously about the news that we're given and the news that people pass on to each other without sort of knowing really the full story. I mean, we're, I'm never going to know the full story of his life. Um, all as I do know is that if he had been playing in a game and I looked at what he was doing, I always thought he was quite a good player. I think he played in the game where Spurs went to Marine, uh, which we did talk about it um, uh, when it happened, you know, because basically it was a big thing for those big names from the TV and the big games that come up from the big TV games like Spurs, Manchester United, Liverpool, Man City and all those teams, um, to see them going to the smaller places in the FA Cup like Marine where I've played um, is always of interest and this is 
really the they weren't air... comfortable were they Spurs weren't comfortable when they played Marine were they well they they, uh, they, they won I think at the end of the match but they were they weren't comfortable playing them they weren't uh, and of course the thing is last week we were covering a story about um, you, you know you, you've got this um, situation where they're trying to dabble and change the FA Cup, and so you know it, it's like um, I'm trying to explain all the time. You, you know we've got to be so aware of not sure what the newspapers telling us are totally true. You know because it's only look this is basically uh, for wrapping chips in most of this stuff and sadly we're talking about people's lives um he always struck me as being a, a guy that was enjoying his football and and then suddenly he went off the radar and it just shows you the way that football is now last week for example i was playing my guitar and uh, a lad came in a couple of lads came in with um spurs t shirts on and um, something happened and somebody had a go at uh, the fact that they were from uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And I quickly chirped up with the fact that I knew uh, Will Andypan, who, of course, is Dave, our friend's grandson. And the lads were very chuffed that we would know them, you know. So mm. it just seems to me that um, it's a shame when people's lives are being messed about. Now, some of it has got to be your own responsibility. You know, but if somebody comes along and gives you, you know, anything, 80,000 or whatever he was getting, it would be big money. Um, you know, you've got, to, you've got to know how to handle that sort of money. And it's a big responsibility, not only for you, but also for your friends to help you rally around and sort of, if you've not built that sort of um a network then obviously you can go off the rails quite quite quickly can't you and then of course in footballing a sense if you've got somebody who uh, is transferred to another country or whatever i mean there's all sorts that can go wrong or can become wonderful depending on which way things are handled um so i thought it was it was worth mentioning that just to let people know that we're not totally and utterly aware of the fact that you know certain people do have problems and i wish him well you know simple as that i wish him well um i've enjoyed watching him play football now let's hope he gets what he needs to get right and gets on with his life in a sensible way that's what i would say oh. yeah i agree and so he's at, he's at everton now isn't he and um well yeah hopefully he will get the support he needs and uh if the press don't go into him too heavy then uh, yeah hopefully he'll be able to get on with the rest of his career and uh, keep on entertaining us because he was really good, wasn't he? As you say, uh, when he was, he's only 27 now. But um, let's say four or five years ago, he was absolutely excellent. And as you say, he went off form. And if that is the reasoning behind it, then uh, let's wish him all the best. Yeah. OK, well, now we get to what is uh, a very good week for the England under-21s. So I'm going to play the jingle because Rob isn't going to be talking about La Liga, but... It just gives me a chance to make sure everybody knows who Rob is. La Liga Roundup with Rob Daniels. OK, so it's not exactly La Liga Roundup, but it is Spain, because Spain were the beaten finalists when England won the under-21s uh, in the big competition, which Rob is going to tell us about. So over to you, Rob. Right, Vince. Well, this was the uh, um, under-21 uh, European um, final, 
and it was held in Georgia, which uh, used to be part of the USSR, but now it's an independent country, on Saturday night. And uh, at the end of the match, um, at the end of 90 minutes, it was England 1, Spain 0. Um, the England goal came just before half-time, and the Spanish press reported in a completely different way from the English press, as you would imagine, because it was a free kick, and it sort of deflected off, um, off the player, Curtis Jones, it actually went in off. But it was a deflection and there's suspicion it might have been offside and things like that. They didn't like the way the England team celebrated the goal because they, uh, well, because they were right in the Spanish uh, lads' faces. There was a bit of argy-bargy. It wasn't, um, it wasn't played in a good spirit, I wouldn't say. It was a very, very competitive match. Both teams played very, very well. Um, but England went in at halftime 1-0 uh, up. Then they kept, kept on. They won the lead right until the end. And Spain got a penalty in the 96th minute. I think they played 12 minutes added on at the end of the match. And the Spanish captain, Abel Ruiz, who um, who played brilliantly throughout the whole tournament, but he stepped up to take the penalty. And the England goalkeeper, um, James Trafford, he's called, he plays for Bolton. He saved the penalty, but he also saved the rebound as well. And uh, so Spain, they, they ended up losing 1-0 um, at the end of the match. But the, the final sort of 15, 20 minutes were absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, really exciting football, both teams going for it. I say not played in a really good spirit, but a lot of them know each other. And at the end of the, at the, end of the match, they uh, all calmed down and sort of shook hands and things. But yeah, it was entertaining. And both teams have got some really young, decent young players. I enjoyed the championship all around, to be honest. Well, yeah, I did as well. Although I've got to say, I was bored stiff with the first half of the game. I thought it was awful. Um, so much so that there was a, a young Spanish tennis player who I've really got interested in watching, Alvarez, who you probably know. Uh, world, yeah, Mercia, yeah. World number one. And uh, between you and I and the gatepost, um, I saw more of him during the first half because every time I switched in, I thought the game was niggly, uh, which is basically what you've described. Uh, I think that it's a shame that you can't have the showpiece of a great tournament uh, showing the better side of how sportsmanship can be um, um, perceived. Instead of that, all you got is the petulance of people who basically are paid far too much money at such a young age and align comfortably for me with what we were talking about earlier. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, when you've got all these young starlets, um, you know, they believe their own publicity at the age of 21. We'll maybe look at what happened to some of the England players when they last had a, a victory like that. Um, but uh, I think what we'll do is we'll go straight to our first talking point, if that's OK with you, Rob, um, because yeah. basically there is there are links. And, you know, I'm always one for banging on about uh, joining up the jigsaw puzzles and the, and the, the dots because... Quite honestly, uh, if you give people too much money, then the Nottingham Forest defender, Harry Toffolo, is the one we will discuss that could be representative of many of the people who get this money. So um, tell us about what's happened with Harry Toffolo. Right, well, Harry Toffolo at the moment is um, a defender for Nottingham Forest. Um, but this happened when he was um, slightly younger. He's... he's uh, in his mid-20s, I think he's 26 at the moment. <clears throat> but when he was playing for Norwich, <clears throat> excuse me, he was um, he was involved in an illegal betting um, syndicate. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, this is all alleged at the moment, Vince. 
but <clears throat> they're going to charge him with 375 um, d different offences. Now, this is the FA. Um, it's not the uh, legal judiciary system because he hasn't actually broken any uh, national laws, but he's broken their rules. And he's being charged with 375 different offences um, of illegal betting, or under the counter betting, if you like, insider knowledge and things like that, from uh, the period between... Uh, 2014, January 14 and March 2017 and for some reason it's come to light now um, but this is something that's happening quite a lot isn't it recently I mean Ivan Turney the uh, Brentford player he was um, he pleaded guilty and he's been given I think it's a, a, an 8th month ban when they were going to give him a 12 month ban to start off with however um, they reduced it to 8 months because he admitted what he'd done and he also admitted that he had a gambling addiction, which is a, an easy get-out-jail-free card, isn't it, if you like? But um, another lad from, um, well, from one of the teams further down um, was also being done recently. For, uh, and he, he got less because he also put his hands up. Um, but he was charged with even more offences um, because all of this um, illegal gambling is... Under the counter gambling, if you like, it's, it's just throughout the whole sport, I think. And uh, this Harry Toffolo is the latest one to come to light. And uh, we'll have to wait and see because it's all alleged at the moment. But if they've charged him and so many years later, then they must have quite a firm case. But it's all alleged, Vince. But the point for me, you see, is whether we like it or not, uh, we've already named uh, two players who uh, are connected with or have been connected with the Premier League. And so, um, you, you know, if somebody is has got his name in the paper, I'm talking about this Harry Toffolo, it's not, not a name I knew. Uh, and immediately it prejudices maybe the way that somebody would perceive or think about him. Now, really, um, I think many players probably uh, have problems with gambling um, of different sorts because so many footballers end up with uh, racehorse connections um, and maybe gambling addictions. And I seem to remember last week uh, you wanted to talk about gambling in the sense of uh, how it ruins people's lives. And therefore, if you are getting tons and shed loads of money, as all these Premier League, League players are getting, um, you know, if you've not really... If, if you're not the brightest in the bunch, uh, it's the sort of thing that you really can quite well expect people to do. But what do mm. you see as the dangers that the FA can be alluding to? What do you really think they're trying to have a go at? I think the, the FA, um, as you know, my opinion of the FA is not particularly high. But uh, I think in this um, particular instance, and, and the um, gambling instances all around, is they're trying to um, eliminate it. They're trying to make it so that it isn't um, attractive to players to get involved in that kind of thing. Because Harry Toffolo hasn't broken any laws, but he's broken the FA rules. And, um, and the same with Ivan Tony. He hadn't broken any laws, but he'd broken the FA rules. Um, this is uh, Mitch Clark, who plays for Port Vale. Um, he hadn't broken any laws, but he'd broken the FA rules. And I think they're trying to um, wheedle these people out. How they do it, I don't know, because they, we're talking about events that happened, uh, between 2014 and 2017, which uh, 2014 is nine years ago now. So they must have been investigating it quite deeply. 
Um, but the reasoning behind it, um, I, th yeah, I think it's to try and um, stop other players, other younger players, from actually getting involved themselves. Because now it's been banned for Ivan Toby just as he started playing for England on a regular basis. I don't think he'll never play for England again, I don't think. Um, I mean, his career isn't ruined, but he's got an eighth-month ban, and uh, he'll probably never play for England again when he was just coming up to the height of his career. And as you know, he was one of my favourite players um, of last season until this came up, and I was very surprised. Uh, I think everybody was. But I think, Yeah, I think they're trying to uh, wheedle out the, 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 the people who are doing it to try and... Um, Prohibit the younger players from getting involved as well, but it won't stop them. Let's face well, it. let's have a look. At, let's have a little look at what they actually tell us. The FA's betting rule change applies to the top eight tiers of English football players, managers, club employees, and match officials. They're all prohibited from betting on any football matter worldwide. On results, goal scorers, in-game play, player transfers, money changes or promotions and relegations. So, um, realistically, they know what the rule is uh, or what the major sort of thrust of the rule will be. Um, whether they like it or not and whether or not they want to admit it, um, basically, that is not a very difficult rule to understand. You're not allowed to bet. Period. So, what is, you know, what is not understandable about that? What do you think? Well, it's very easily understandable, isn't it, Vince? The rules are, are set out very clearly, as you've just stated. Um, but and they all get paid um, massive salaries. I mean, I don't know what uh, Toffolo is on, but he plays. He plays. <clears throat> he plays for a Premier Division team, a Premier League team. So he's going to be on decent wages. Um, could it be greed? I, I don't really know, Vince. It's uh, one of these things that we've spoken about uh, on various occasions. It's like an addiction, um, as far as I can see. Uh, gambling can become an addiction, like a drug addiction. And even though he doesn't need the money, um, he didn't need the money, he still got involved in betting when he knew that it was against the rules. Um, why he did it, you'd need a psychiatrist or a psychologist to uh, probably decide on that one. But... Um, it, yeah, it's, it's uh, curious, wasn't it? And, and this is one of the things that's been going on for a long time now. Um, footballers train in the mornings, but then most of them have the afternoons off, don't they? What are they going to do in the afternoon? In the olden days, in the 1980s and 1990s, they used to spend the afternoon in the bookies. Um, these days, they probably spend the time online gambling and playing online games and things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the rules are very, very clear. And Harry uh, Toffolo allegedly has broken those rules in full knowledge of what the rules were. So we'll just have to wait and see what they decide. Yeah, um, but I mean, realistically, uh, you're looking at this business of uh, what the FA is trying to do. Uh, obviously, like you'd expect them to put a statement out, uh, they want to preserve what is great in the football game. And uh, I mean, that's not quite the same as saying they want to make sure that young people uh, who are earning far too much money are, uh, are not having their rules, uh, their lives ruined by being uh, given too much money. I mean, there is an answer to the or there are answers to these things. I mean, things like the club could be putting money into trusts, for example, couldn't they? I mean, that would be one way that maybe the young players wouldn't be uh, having the money to be spending all the time, you know. 
Yes, now, I think they do have sort of things like that in place now, more than they did in the olden days, if you like, in the uh, 1960s when George Best, I think he was the first, um, at least the first British footballer who was paid a massive salary. And um, he enjoyed his life, I think, but um, he basically just spent, 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 wasn't it? Well, I'm, uh, I'm another looking... uh, solution was pay, pay them less, Vince, pay them less. Well, everybody should be paid less because, look... You know, the, the trouble now is everybody's swallowed this myth about a short uh, playing career. Everybody has a short career when they're young. It's to do with the number of years in your life. And if you're getting picked up at the age of seven and, you know, being given good money, sort of 10-year-olds, etc., uh, that's a hell of a lot more than most people get in their lives, isn't it? Um, I'm looking back. Winger Townsend was fined 18000 by the FA June 2013. Uh, uh, Jerome, 50000 last August. And Gosling, 30000 in March. I mean, what happens to this money? That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, wh- where does the money go when the FA bans the player? What do you think happens to that money? Um, that's a good question, Vince. It's, it's something I haven't thought of, so I don't know. Um, I mean, I would imagine that uh, Harry Toffler will probably be suspended from playing uh, by Nottingham Forest, um, as Ivan Sonny was by uh, Brentford, but only for a couple of matches because they needed him in the team. But whether or not they still continue to get their wages while they're waiting for the um, the FA to make the decision, I think they probably still do. But um, I'm, I'm not sure, actually. It's something that I'll have to look into. But, uh, yeah, the, the amount of money that these young players get these days, as you say, they, they are more in, um, in a month than most people do in a year or, or even a lifetime. Um, and they're not given that much advice on what they should actually do with it. There are sensible players like Sadio Mane, for example, who spends a lot of money of his wages helping the village that he comes uh, from in Africa. But there are others who just fritter it away. They just waste it. Um, they end up doing all sorts of stupid things that they get caught for in the end, some of them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's far too much money and they're far too young to handle that kind of responsibility, I think. Well, I remember uh, Jurgen Klopp had the uh, audacity to ask where the money went. Um, you know, and, of course, uh, probably he's been castigated and criticised uh, for asking the question. But I think that is a very, very good an- uh, question, very worthwhile question. Um, really, mm. it, would, it would be healthy if we knew where that money went, because uh, there's a lot of money involved. So uh, I think that, you know, Klopp's question... And any answers that could be forthcoming, I would love to know what actually happens to that money. Um, yeah, and Jurgen Klopp's very direct, isn't he? He doesn't he doesn't mince his words, um, and they haven't, they didn't give him an answer, obviously. Well, I think uh, if you look at some of the things that happened later in the season, I think uh, they got a little bit of payback, didn't I? Uh, didn't they? You know, I think that uh, some of that, um, yes, I think it does uh, ask the question. And um, I think it, it's one of those things I think I'll put into the auto, uh, artificial intelligence and we will find out if there's an answer to that. Uh, but anyway, uh, for the moment, I think we'll proceed because I'm looking at time and we do have uh, other important matters to look at uh, because there was um, a story about a, an executive who worked for Manchester City. Now, I sent you this story, and um, I, th- I suppose you probably thought at the time uh, that's a strange one to be sending me. But, um, as I say, I look around 
to see the world of football, not just uh, the fact that, you know, we've got all these different players all suddenly being uh, taken across to um, Saudi Arabia. And everybody knows that, you know, there's a cannibalization of football going on. Um, we've had China had a go at it. Um, America's tried and never sort of got off the ground with their um, men's game, um, for me anyway. And um, it, it's pretty obvious the Saudis have got a pot of gold that's so deep that they can offer silly money to anybody. So tell us about um, somebody connected, as she was, with one of the owners of, uh, or, you know, should we say the ownership of a club that came from that part of the world. Uh, what happened? Right, well, this is um, a woman called Fiona Barclay, who is, is Scottish. Um, she's 34 years old. And she was um, the, development, the development manager with Manchester City's club hospitality department. Now, as we know, all, all clubs these days have hosp hospitality departments. And it is quite an important part of uh, the, the background like, of, of, of uh, any kind of sports club. Um, but it's not on the playing side. Um, it's all to do with uh, making people welcome and uh, putting on VIP uh, events and things like that. However, she was the head of this and she stole over £100,000, um, mainly to finance her own wedding and to buy a, a future husband presents and things like that. Um, and it came on top because there was a transfer that was made of £25,000 that um, the accounts department of Manchester City sort of thought was suspicious and they traced it back and they found out she'd been taken from them for years. Um, the result is that she's taken over, uh, she's stolen over £100,000. She only has to pay £2,550 back, um, which, um, again, I can't say how that really works. I mean, it, it, it almost looks like crime pays, doesn't it? I mean, she's got away with uh, the best part of 100000 She only has to pay 2500 back. But uh, yeah, uh, this is a behind-the-scenes um, situation, but again involving one of the uh, world's most famous football clubs, who are also involved in all sorts of uh, financial uh, financial problems at the moment themselves. Out there under investigation and things, it's just it's just a uh, it's a kind of worms, isn't it, Vince? Basically, uh, football well, these days. I think there's more to this personally because why would somebody who we are told uh, stole 104,000, or at least that certainly that was um, investigated, and uh, City have remained 89,000 out of pocket uh, because she'd paid back 15,000. Um, but I mean, the thing is, I get the feeling that, that, that if this was me or if this was you, nothing to do with Manchester City or uh, really anything to do with football, I think we would be asked to pay back the whole amount of the money. I don't know whether or not I'm being a bit um, suspicious over nothing, but what do you think? Oh, if, if this was uh, not you or I, Vince, yeah, we'd, uh, we'd have to pay back everything and we'd probably be in jail for uh, five or six years as well. And we'd probably deserve to be there because if you still steal from an employer, I mean... Um, I am my own employer, so I haven't got £100,000 to steal from myself, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, the, it seems to be that if you're involved in a major organisation such as a football club, such as Manchester City, the uh, penalties do seem to be lighter than if you're just a normal member of the population. Well, a couple of things crossed my mind. Uh, number one, uh, sexism. 
uh, because had this been a male uh, with a, a hoodie on or something like that, I'm pretty sure that uh, they would have had a go for, for him. If it had been a banker or some insurance bloke or some city uh, slicker, then probably the same. Um, I also think that if there's something that Manchester City wouldn't particularly want to get out into the public domain, uh, there is a way that uh, she could be bought. She certainly has done quite well for herself financially. And I would think to myself, well, why would any club allow anybody to pinch that sort of money and not want to go for the whole lot back? There's more to that than meets the eye for me. Yes, I think you're right, Vince. Um, there's more to it than meets the eye, and she will have insider knowledge of all sorts of things. I mean, she she was on a very good wage, a very good salary. Apparently, she was very, very good at her job. Um, why she decided to do this, she didn't really need to, because she, I think she was on a more than £100,000 a year in wages. Um, but, yeah, she's probably got background knowledge that they don't want her to let out, so they, uh, they they're letting her off quite lightly. Um, but yeah, she's probably got something that she can hold over Man City. Yeah. Well, I think it's weird. Um, I think it's absolutely nonsensical. And you, you know as well as I do that, um, you know, by all means, we can be accused of being um, conspiracy theorists, if you like. But there's nowhere else in life that somebody would get away with £89,000 worth of theft um, from what we read in that newspaper article. I mean, I've got to insist that we go by what we've read because, unfortunately, um, the world seems to be absolutely devoid of any sort of reality these days. So I'm going to move on and uh, let's, um, let's have a little bit of music just to sort of get out of that. Who are we going to phone up? Okay, now the number we're calling is the name Kazuyoshi Miura. And uh, he's got a claim to fame, and Rob's going to tell us all about him because he sounds very interesting. So, uh, off you go, go, please, Rob. Right, well, th thanks for pronouncing his name, uh, Vince. He's normally called King Kazu. That's the name that he uh, plays under generally because um, he's the oldest professional footballer in the world. Um, he's 56 years old. He started his playing career, he started in Brazil actually, he started at Santos uh, in 1986, which is before most of the present day's players were even born. And he's still playing now, he's played for a, a list of teams, as long as you're arm. I mean, uh, he hasn't played in uh, Europe very often, he played at Dyn uh, Dynamo Zagreb once, but he played a lot of his career in, um, in Brazil. I don't know why. Um, particularly Brazil, but now he's actually playing for a second division team in uh, Portugal called Olvairense. Um and the president of Olvairense is another Japanese man who um, has taken on Kinkazu uh, to play for them and he's just renewed his contract for another two years. Now his idea is to go and continue playing until he's 60. Now I think that is an absolutely fantastic story because uh, I mean, he started. Play he's the same age as I am, and he's still playing professional football, um, not top level, second division, but second level Port Portuguese football is is still professional football, and um, yeah, I think it's a really positive story all around, and um, yeah, he's he's a very very 
dedicated professional. Uh, he doesn't need to do it. I mean, he could have retired when he was, he could have retired 20 years ago quite easily. But he's continuing to play because he enjoys it. And uh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great story. Well, of course, the only sort of age that we've got uh, comparable, um, you, you know, that uh, you, you would expect uh, to immediately spring to mind is probably Stanley Matthews, who was 50. Uh, so this guy is, um, you know, he's not a winger, that's for sure. But um, interesting. Incidentally, I've just had a quick look at uh, one of the chat bots and I uh, have asked what does uh, FA do with the money collected for, by, by fines? And the answer is I have it all to charity. So, um, you know, what do we think uh, of the clever bot online chat bot <laughs> i think that uh, it's already programmed i've asked a couple of online uh, well not online i've asked a couple of these chat bots certain questions and the stories that or the answers that come back don't coincide with my knowledge of the subject so i'm already a little bit um should we say um suspicious of what the chop chat bots are there to do Anyway, um, we all know that people just go online and ask Google. So, you know, by all means, you can continue with that if that's the way you want to live your life. I don't. Um, let's look next at a very, very interesting story, which uh, is to do with Glasgow Rangers and Glasgow Celtic. Now, um, if somebody was to say to you, did they ever play together? as a team most people would say no but rob has got some information on this haven't you rob yes now this is a very interesting story vince um and it, it's going back into the history if you like of football which is as you know i'm, I'm a football anorak and i enjoy this kind of thing but the old firm as they call themselves or as they're called um is glasgow rangers and glasgow celtic um both in glasgow in scotland Celtic are traditionally the uh, Catholic side and Rangers are traditionally the uh, Protestant side. Um, and their old firm derbies, for example, um, are always full of action. Uh, they're the two best teams in Scotland by far. But you wouldn't expect them to play together, would you, uh, in the same team? But they have actually played uh, on various occasions for something called the old firm Select 11. Um, the first time was in 1925 and there was an old player whose name I've heard of, um, and, and you will know more about probably, but M Billy Meredith, one of the really early players of football. Um, it was his t testimonial, and they actually played together, uh, Celtic and Rangers put a team together in 1925. Then the second time they did it, um, they, it was against a team called Inverness Caledonian, and they were the first team in Scotland to have floodlights um, put in, and floodlights being the lights that you have on the corner of the pitches, and uh, they were banned in England until 1950, actually, but in Scotland they weren't, and um, they were the first team to install them. But so they played a select uh, old firm select eleven against Inverness Caledonian. And the main idea behind that was that the Loch Ness monster, um, which probably everybody has heard of, um, the story of the Loch Ness monster had just been invented then in 1933, and it was a way of promoting tourism. Um, so what they did is they took the floodlights down that they just uh, they just put up in this football ground, and actually took them down to Loch Ness at night and lit up uh, Loch Ness so that people could come and see if they could spot the monster. Um, obviously nobody did, but um, yeah, it, it, so they've been playing uh, together at various occasions. The next time, um, again, was against Inverness Caledonian because they had new floodlights put in. Now, at the time, 
the Scottish FA stated that a player could only be registered by one team. So the five Celtic players who were in the uh, Old Firm Select eleven had to sign for one day to play in for Rangers on the understanding that they would sign the next day back for Celtic. And uh, amongst those players was Paddy Crerander. I think you, you did an interview with Paddy Crerander. I've sat next to him and uh, we enjoyed a meal together in Benidorm when we were doing a sports night with Eric Malpas who sadly passed away, but, you know, was part of our team. So, yes, Paddy Crerr and a great player and um, obviously Scotland and Celtic. Great man. Yeah, and he, he's still alive, actually, Paddy Crerr. And, um, in 1959, there's a, there's a photograph of them, um, both of the teams uh, sort of wearing, sitting next to each other. And um, he must have been very young then, but he's still alive. He's 84 years old now and uh, still going strong. Now, um, I want to take you to the 12th of April, 1998, uh, because, you know, there's all sorts of levels that stories and things come into play. And you might remember that there was a guy called Alistair Campbell, and he was the Downing Street press secretary, um, which, of course, uh, was all connected with Tony Blair and people like that. So he had this idea. Now, do you, do you know what his idea was? Um, his idea, I think, was to to do with this Good Friday Agreement, which was the peace deal that they uh, organised in Northern Ireland, well, between Northern Ireland and and Southern Ireland. Um, I think his idea was to uh, put Old Firm Select Eleven together and play in Belfast, was it, something like that, to um, sort of promote um, unity rather than uh, separation between them. But I don't think it came to anything. I think he was. I think uh, that was Tony Blair, wasn't it, the Prime Minister at the time? It was, uh, but uh, but of course, you know, at least Campbell did admit it was probably not one of his better ideas. He probably um, didn't know about the past, though, did he? Then, because we only know about it because we can look on the internet. This uh, Alistair Campbell, um, it, it sounds like he might be Scottish himself. I don't know, but um, he probably didn't know that the fact that they played already together in, in the past. Um, but yeah, he he, he admits um, that it wasn't one of his best ideas, and it didn't come to fruition. Um, fortunately, the peace deal did. Um, but yeah, that was one of the, the top politicians' ideas back in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Yeah, and of course the thing uh, that is a bit difficult for me to sometimes comprehend is the fact that we have such a big input on the um, English game from Scottish players who come and play and Scottish managers in particular who do well in the English game. I mean, if you were to look at the number of Scottish managers that have come and done particularly well, and obviously two that spring to mind very, very quickly will be Bill Shankly and Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I mean, love him, loathe him, whatever your manager preference might be. Um, these guys are just two examples of uh, Scots who have come down uh, and they've been very, very astute, not only with the money side of things, but also in their judgment of players. Um, you know, considering the way the national team performs against the English team, for example, um, you, you, you know, th there's quite a few discrepancies really, aren't there? Well, yes, I think one of the reasons, Vince, is the uh, difference in population levels, isn't it? I mean, uh, England has got a lot, a higher population by far than Scotland. Um, but yeah, some of the Scottish managers, um, Kenny Dalglish, for example, and uh, as we spoke about uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, Graham Souness, um, both very good players in their day, both very astute managers. 
and they do know how to spot the decent players that they would like to play for their teams and not spend a lot of money for them. Um, it was Bill Shankly, actually, who signed um, oh, but the, uh, the guy from the Liverpool guy who used to be on the question of sport, who uh, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Ian St. Um, John? No, Emlyn Hughes. Emlyn Hughes. Oh, I beg your pardon. Okay. Yeah, and he, he went. Emlyn Hughes, I think, was at Tranmere, which is one of your teams, isn't it? I and, don't uh, know. And Bill no. Shankly actually went through to, to his parents' house and turned up personally and, and explained to his parents that he'd be looked after and um, everything would be above board and everything like that. And he actually went along personally and persuaded uh, Emily Hughes' parents to allow him to go to play for uh, Liverpool. And he had a fantastic career as well, didn't he? Yeah, but uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling that it was Scunthorpe he played for. Or some. It, ah, it, yes, it might have been Scunny, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't Tramia, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, the, the point that I'm making uh, is, is certainly valid by the time you look at population levels. And then when you look at the bigger picture, which we always try and do, join up the dots. You know, you've got these people who think that um, Scotland should separate from England. And you've had um, we Jimmy Cranky, the uh, prime minister uh, up there, uh, creating nothing but trouble till she got uh, exposed for being people with the hands in the tills, um, you know, the people that were around the Scot Scottish nationalists. Um, I mean, when all said and done, I think the United Kingdom is stronger by the fact that they are, are part of each other. Uh, by all means, I understand people loving Scotland and preferring Scotland to England, um, but I think that the strength of the United Kingdom is the fact that it is at the moment united and i feel that it's been under heavy attack for a long time which of course um football can be one of the mediators to bring people together would you would you agree with that well it should be shouldn't it really um i mean yeah football should be a unifying um sport as opposed to uh, separating people the rivalry between celtic and rangers um over the years um, it's very fierce, isn't it? I mean, they, they seriously don't like each other. However, on certain occasions, they come together, and at the end of the day, they're all professional footballers. Um, in the 1960s, they weren't allowed to have any contact with each other um, unless they were actually playing each other on the pitch. Um, they, but they weren't allowed to have any contact with each other outside of the uh, outside of the football field. And so over the years, this sort of um, old firm um, story, it's very, very interesting, actually. But at the end of the day, they are the two, um, probably the two best teams in Scotland, and um, they have played together on various occasions. And at the end of the day, it should be a unifying sport, shouldn't it? Well, I'm looking at a Glasgow Select eleven, uh, which featured players from Queens Park and Partick Thistle. Um, they played in a match to mark the Queen's Silver Jubilee back in 1977. And then a Celtic and Rangers eleven, supplemented by Manchester United's Bobby Charlton and George Best. And uh, the Chelsea goalkeeper Peter Bonetti took on a Scotland side uh, to raise funds in the wake of the Ibrox disaster. So, mm. realistically... Um, I, I think there are far more things that uh, probably bring people together. And I've listened to many, many footballers talking on programmes uh, and they've told me and anybody else who was listening about the fact that um, a lot of this dislike for each other was contrived and that, you know, it was all media hype and everything. And uh, I don't know, was it to sell uh, bums on seats or whatever? You know, I mean, you know as well as I do that they put this sort of... Um, 
the stuff uh, just making people think that this hatred uh, you know is is worse than what it really should be or is um okay now i did say at the beginning that we were going to look back at uh, what happened to the england match winners and obviously tournament winners back in 1984 when the under-21s had their success because there is a bit of a perception that by winning a major tournament uh, you would obviously do very, very well and the future would be rosy. So uh, can we go and have a look at that one next? Because I do believe that that would uh, be very healthy. So the, um, the winners, um, if you remember, of the 19... 84 uh, championship um, do we see any success sort of continuing on for them well this is um it's the last time england no but england i think won it since then but it was the last time england played spain in a final and it was a, a, a two-legged event it was one nil in Sevilla and it was two nil in sheffield so england won it three three one on aggregate and uh, a lot of the players who were in that team carried on as professional footballers, but didn't actually go on to have any international success. Um, a lot of them didn't actually play um, a, a full cap for England. Um, Dave Watson, the uh, Norwich defender, he played 12. Um, Gary Stevens, 7. Um, Steve Hodge, the Nottingham Forest uh, midfielder, he, he got 24 senior caps. And I think he was the one who got the most senior caps out of that team. But a lot of them went on to have success as club players, but didn't actually triumph on the international stage. Which um, is quite interesting, really, because they were the most promising players of their era. They won, they beat Spain, who also had a very good team in those days. But when it actually came to um, the rest of their careers, they were brilliant club players, but they didn't actually shine in the international team. Well, I think it's interesting um, because when you say the brilliant club players, um, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm thinking Gary Bailey. He doesn't spring to mind as one of the greatest of uh, Manchester United's. Uh, players i mean uh, just as one example you know he was a goalkeeper wasn't he yeah um i mean do you, did you remember his career um I, re I remember his name but i think that's probably because of that uh, 1980 uh for um euro final um so i do recognize his name um yeah when i say brilliant club careers i mean uh, a lot of them played for one of them played for oxford united for example which is a professional team um mark Haitley, i think uh, he um, I think he got 32 caps um, and he went on to be a manager and things like that but yes it's um, maybe they shine too brightly when they're, when they're young and um, they burn out too quickly I, I, I really don't know Vince but it's quite interesting isn't it? Uh, well it is interesting they don't, they, don't all go, they don't all go on to triumph um, you know because the way you're led to believe now is you've got the, the system right and this is probably why we're winning a trophy blah de blah I mean it's uh, 1966 it was when we won the World Cup and of course this is the men um, and of course um, you know we've not really done an awful lot since then uh, although maybe I'm being a bit unfocused we did actually get to semi-finals um, so uh, I'm looking at some of the names for example uh, Paul Bracewell played well for Everton I mean I remember him um, then Dave Watson uh, he went on to Everton didn't he yes I think Dave Watson yeah, did go on to Everton yeah um, and I think he had finished his career at Norwich but uh, yeah he, he, spent, he spent quite a long time at Everton I think yeah 
Yeah, looking through some of the other names, uh, Mark Haitley. Now, th- there's an interesting one because uh, it is somebody that, that I played with his dad, Tony Haitley. And um, uh, I, he, I think, also played in some of the showbiz games that I was involved with. And he uh, went on to be quite a good striker. But, you know, uh, his dad, certainly, I remember when we were playing with him, he would sort of do a lot of coaching while he was playing you know, which was great for people like myself who loved the game, played it to quite a high level. And then when you went to these uh, very special, um, uh, uh, you know, big, big matches, the showbiz games, uh, there was an awful lot went on in those that, um, you know, they were like, well, they were serious games. You know, there was there was no, no quarter asked and no quarter given. Um, right, now, Rob... Um, let me look at uh, what we'd planned and then go back uh, to this business of Deli Alley. And, you know, um, we're looking at a player who, uh, like the people that have come through that team of 1984, we've heard his name in headlines uh, and we've seen, you know, his life sort of de- develop. What would you change so that maybe people like him and like probably is going to happen to some of these young stars that have just come back from winning that trophy, what would you do differently to help in the, uh, shall we say, later life? Um, what, you mean play, players when they um, get older and retire and they, they don't know what to do with themselves? Well, I mean, one of the greatest problems in life for a lot of older people is to come to terms that they, you know, their life has changed dramatically. And so you've got to um, maybe look very, very carefully at how you plan for your later life. Now, if you've got, um, you know, people who are already at the ages that we were discussing very early on, who were involved with uh, problems with betting, um, you know, you'd wonder then what they would do for planning for their later life because they probably, like so many people, you don't think it's ever going to happen, do you? No. Uh, and then all of a sudden it hits you and there you are, yeah. Um, but I think as a, any kind of professional sports person or, or any kind of career that has a sort of like a limited span, shall we say, um, it must be a really difficult decision for them to make time up their boots. And um, I think these days a lot of them do um, make some sort of plans uh, for when they retire. And uh, but I think in the olden days they, the morals didn't. They just sort of retired, or they were or they were sacked and were, the contracts weren't renewed, and they were basically on the scrap heap, if you like, and had nothing to do during the day. Um, Kenny Sanson, for example, uh, who played for Arsenal, played for England. He ended up sleeping on a park bench outside the, the pub that he was banned from going in. Um, so because everyone who walked past offered to buy him a pint or offered to buy him a short or something like that. And uh, fortunately, the uh, Football Association, they have got a fund for ex-players um, to try to get them out of problems. Uh, Paul Gascoigne, who again is the same age as me, he um, they've helped him out a lot because he's been, he's been really on skid row. I mean, he's been on his last legs as Paul Gascoigne. Um, but every time, every time, pe- every time people help Paul Gascoigne, he he seems to go back into um, similar behaviour patterns. So yeah, that's who he is. <laughs> that's who he is. 
Well, yeah, but that doesn't solve the problem, does it? Because, you know, when all's said and done, um, he's had a fortune. What's he done with most of it? Probably wasted it on alcohol. And so, you, you know, you, you then maybe start asking yourself a little bit more about um, things like the the way that people um, are, are encouraged to behave by the media, um, by the peer group. Uh, I mean, we, we've all got frailties and we've all been there. Come on, we, you know, neither you nor I probably uh, uh, won't be the first time we've been a bit silly with drink. I mean, for myself, I know that I've got mine well under control. But, you know, for a lot of young people, it becomes a huge problem. And if you pay young people the far more money than most people get during their work in life, then there should be a responsibility that goes with the money that they are being paid. A two-way thing, both the player being the recipient and whatever the club is should really have a way of probably allocating that money. I mean, it, it could be arranged and I think it should be arranged. But then again, what do I know? What do you think? Well, it's a complicated one, isn't it, that, Vince? Because um, especially when they turn 18, then they become uh, um, grown-ups, don't they? They become adults and they can vote and everything like that and take responsibility for their own affairs. Um, but a lot of them can't do so. Um, as we've seen, as we've been speaking about today, some, some of them are still involved in uh, these gambling situations. They don't need to get involved in, let's face it, they're multimillionaires. Um, they don't need to do that. But, um, yeah, there, there needs to be, I think, um, the, the uh, pastoral side, if you like, of uh, the football. It's playing catch-up with the wages. I mean, the wages just went out of control, and uh, so did a lot of the players. Tony Adams, the Arsenal captain, who, again, is about the same age as I am, um, he was he was an alcoholic. I mean, he's admitted this, so there's no uh, alleged about it, and I'm not... Um, I'm not making any sort of uh, bad comment, but he's admitted it himself as an alcoholic and a cocaine addict when he was playing as Arsenal captain. But now what he's done um, since he's become clean, he's actually started a charity for people who are in that kind of situation, not just footballers or ex-footballers, but anybody who's got alcohol addiction or drug addictions. Um, and that's what he's dedicated the rest of his life to. But when he was playing as Arsenal captain, I mean, uh, he, he, he used to go, he used to go on the pitch when he used to have, um, he used to take cocaine at half time and things like that. I, I don't think they do that these days. Um, but he apparently used to sneak off into the toilet and everyone knew what he was doing. Um, so things are changing, um, but too slowly, I think. I've got to say, when you look back on things that you've read in the press, I'm not telling you that this is exactly right, but I know that we've read about uh, things like Alex Fer Sir Alex Ferguson uh, trying his best to be like a father figure to the younger players. Uh, and I would imagine a lot of the managers have got these type of skills. I mean, you do see it with even people like uh, Jurgen Klopp. You can see that he builds a great relationship up with practically all his players. And uh, so, you know, the, 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 there's got to be an element of trying to think of the future should be built into this now because obviously these young people are getting such money um, that really there's not an awful great excuse for not being able to put some to one side for your um, end of uh, life experience so there we are we've had a lot to discuss again um, you know they think that uh, it's all over when the season finishes but um, very shortly I think it's only about five or six weeks we're back into the um, the Premier League again aren't we 
Yes, we are. It's not long far away again now, and uh, we've got always got plenty to talk about. Vince. There's always something happening, isn't there? So uh, it's been lovely to our chat, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Okay, and uh, from our perspective here on the podcast, um, I don't know Delhi Ali, but I wish him well, and I don't yes, know so do I. I don't know the other lad from Nottingham Forest, uh, but I wish that uh, he gets uh, through his problems and starts uh, enjoying his footballing career like uh, the gift is that he's got. So with that, Rob, uh, look forward to talking next week. My pleasure, Larry. Thank you, Rob. Cheers.